On my last visit to the Crescent Hotel, I was staying in the newly remodeled room that adjoined the most haunted room in the hotel, Michael's room, room 218. The first evening as I was watching TV while sitting up in bed, all of a sudden the entire bed started rocking as if I had put a quarter in the Magic Fingers coin box, like those in motels, and of course there was none on this bed. It vibrated for about half a minute, then all of a sudden stopped just as I was about to jump off the bed. An anonymous guest experience while staying at the Crescent. Welcome to America's Most Haunted Hotel. Located in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, the Crescent Hotel is a historic landmark within the city and has a long and checkered past. Today, the Crescent Hotel is most famous for being haunted by guests who checked out but never left. The Crescent has recently made national headlines due to a grisly discovery on the hotel grounds that may lend even more credence to its claim of being occupied by the spirits of the dead. Tonight, we record from within the spooky resort itself in a certified haunted room and attempt to make contact with those from beyond the grave. Join us and see if we can make it through the night on this very special and very ghostly episode of Snipe Hunt. Welcome, you're listening to Snipe Hunt, your frightening folklore podcast. I'm your host, Darren Young. And I'm your very tired host, Gary Clevenstein. It's like, what, 2 in the morning? Relatable, yeah. Was it 2.10 in the morning? It is 2 in the morning. <laughs> this is a very special episode, and we're both really excited for it. And uh, we have a very special guest with us today as well. Absolutely. As you may have heard in the cold opening, right now we are recording... Within room 419 of the Crescent Hotel, and this room is allegedly occupied by a spirit by the name of Theodora. So we would like to welcome her to the show. All right. Let's... Welcome, Theodora. Yeah. Yay. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Uh, your picture is hanging up on the wall over there and staring at me <laughs> very... as I record, and it's definitely not creepy at all. And she's going to watch us sleep. Yeah. Right by the bed. Uh, she is one of the very few spirits that actually interact with people here at the hotel. So, Theodora... If you want to talk to us or the people listening, you can uh, you can go ahead and speak through our microphones and because it will record your voice. Yep, I got one right here on the coffee table, and Gary's got one over there on the dresser. Mm-hmm. And you are more than welcome to talk to us, and we will be definitely talking about you soon enough. Soon enough. But uh, for this episode, we are going to take a deeper dive into the history and stories of the haunted Crested Hotel. So if you've listened to episode four, you may hear some things that you already knew about but with more detail. Then we are going to try to converse with our roommate, Theodora, or any of the other spirits that may haunt the resort, and hopefully we will get something on our recording. This episode may sound a bit rougher than others, but keep in mind that's on purpose, just in case we pick anything up. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about the town of Eureka Springs itself, as the story of the town is the reason why the hotel is here in the first place. Let's do it. Uh, as the name suggests, there are springs in the area which are rumored to have healing properties. These springs were used and considered sacred by the nearby Native American tribes, including the Osage, Creek, Choctaw, and Cherokee tribes. Legend credits Osage chief Black Dog for carving a small pool out of limestone for use of the basin spring, and according to local folklore, the spring water was able to heal the chief's daughter's eye infection. So Black Dog was definitely a real person. Uh, he was born in 1780. It apparently was a huge man, around seven feet tall. Good lord. So large for today, let alone back in his day. He is historically significant in that he and his men completed the Black Dog Trail, which connected their winter territory close to Baxter Springs, Kansas, to their summer hunting grounds in the Great Salt Plains in Oklahoma. He also had a son named Black Dog II, but it's unclear which Black Dog is credited for Basin Spring in Eureka. Uh, some sources say that the native princess who was healed by the springs was the daughter of Black Dog, while others say that she was the daughter of the chief of another tribe. But either way, according to legend, word about the healing waters uh, was soon reaching white settlers. In the ghost tour, they said son. The son? The son, he, they healed his eyes. 
Well, uh, if you keep reading that, they, you'll realize that they, they were talking about Dr. Alva Jackson and not Black Dog. You're right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Edit. In 1856, Dr. Alva Jackson found the basin spring and it allegedly healed his son. There, there it is. All right. There you go. Here we go. Hold on. In 1856, Dr. Alva Jackson found the basin spring and it allegedly healed his own son's eye affliction. So Jackson, of course, began selling the water as Dr. Jackson's eye water. Creative. That's very creative. Mm-hmm. Jackson did not spread the word about the springs themselves until he brought his friend, Judge Sanders, in 1879. Saunders? Who... God. <laughs> apples to oranges. <laughs> Judge Saunders. In 1879, who was supposedly healed of a crippling disease thanks to the spring water. Yeah, I read some sources said a crippling disease and some other sources said like he just had a bum leg. So (laughs) maybe it was both or neither. Right. Uh, Eureka Springs was officially founded on July 4th, 1879, and soon visitors, lured by the rumors of miraculously healing waters, flocked to the town and lived in tents and hastily built shanties. Population boomed to over 10,000 people later that year. So in less than a year, bam, 10,000 people just all showed up yeah. all at once. Chaos. The Eureka Springs Improvement Company was formed in 1882 by General Pal Clayton to turn the shanty town into a proper city and with the help of the Frisco Railroad, built roads, water, sewer lines, an electrical trolley, and thousands of residential and commercial buildings in two short years. You see, that makes sense because the roads, especially downtown, are a nightmare to drive through because they're so narrow. <laughs> Good Lord. And they curve so much and go up and down hills, so it all makes sense that it was all built Just in Google two it. years. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. This leads us to the Crescent Hotel, which was built in 1886, perched high up on a hill overlooking the Victorian Village. Here's an excerpt from an article in the Eureka Springs Times Echo, dated May 20th, 1886. Crescent Hotel opens today. With the opening of the grandiose Crescent Hotel, Eureka Springs entered a new and exciting era. Notables from afar are arriving in our fair city, and soon many others will follow. The Crescent, built by the Eureka Springs Improvement Company and the Frisco Railroad, is America's most luxurious resort hotel. Featuring large area rooms. Yes, large. Featuring large area rooms. Comfortably furnished, the Crescent Hotel offers the visiting vacationer opulence unmatched in convenience and service. Tonight's gala ball will find in attendance many of the leaders in business and society. Soon, the rich and powerful flock to the Crescent Resort from all over the nation, enjoying the many luxuries of the opulent hotel, such as the large open rooms, the spacious dining room, swimming pools, tennis and croquet courts, beautiful gardens with widening boardwalks beautiful and gazebos. Gardens. Huh? Beautiful gardens. Didn't not I guardians. say gardens? He said guardians. Beautiful gardens and guardians with winding boardwalks and gazebos. <laughs> and of course, the healing springs that the town was known for. And a bowling alley down in the basement. Yeah. Which we didn't get to see. I'm not sure we're still there. Oh, that's right. We didn't even get. No, yeah. they told us to go down there tomorrow. Okay. And see it. We'll go down there tomorrow then. But at the turn of the century, people began to realize that the famous healing waters actually had no curative powers and stopped visiting Eureka Springs, which caused the prosperity of the large, expensive hotel to decline. From 1908 to 1924, the building was utilized as the Crescent College and conservatory, Conservatory for Young Women, but continued to act as a resort during the summers to help maintain the cost of the large building. But even this was not generating enough income, and the building closed for six years before it briefly reopened as a junior college in from 1930 to 1934. So in the ghost tour, it's pretty funny because they were trying to cover up the uh, how the hotel wasn't doing so great mm-hmm. at the time. So they phrased it as uh, people couldn't afford to send their daughters oh, yeah. here anymore, <laughs> when in reality they just... It was tanking. Coming here, yeah, it was just tanking. Then in 1937, the building was purchased by a man named Norman G. Baker. And this is where our story really begins. All right, so let's talk about Norman Baker. He was the son of an inventor. He started out as a vaudeville performer, and during his career, he invented the Tangley Automatic Air Calliope. 
Calio, Calio, uh, or uh, as he called it, the Calliophone, which was a variation on the steam organ that was a portable instrument that became popular with traveling shows and circuses. And we use the word portable very lightly. And yes, uh, it's pretty big, but <laughs> it was easy to like drag around on a cart relatively easily uh, to drag around on a cart and stuff. So when I say vaudeville, that that's kind of like a theatrical performance that's very similar to an old timey circus or carnival today. So it Broadway. was, it was it, no, not Broadway. Not Broadway. <laughs> no, that that's much higher class. It's more like a circus today. So let's take a listen to this Calliophone. Uh, I'm just gonna put it up to the put it up to the microphone here, so we can comment on all of its glory. Oh, uh, they actually have one here that they played for us during briefly during the ghost tour. Stupid loud. It was loud. Oh yeah. That's good stuff. Here, let me get it back to you. Yeah, there it is. Mm. This is my jam, y'all. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Check it. Oh, here it comes. Oh, man. Dude, I wish I could do that. A beat drop is banging. <laughs> All right, let's turn this off before we blow our brains out. Uh, so, as bad as that sounds, the one that they played for us briefly during the ghost tour sounded ten times worse than that. Um, anyway, uh, so apparently he made a bunch of money off of that, and uh, that's how he was able to purchase his later uh, projects. Uh, in 1924, Norman Baker put his skills as a carnival barker to use as a radio broadcaster. As a broadcaster, he mostly just attacked other broadcasters, broadcasting companies, other commercial media, and political groups, and often opened libel suits against anyone who retaliated against his ramblings. So he was basically Alex Jones before Alex Jones. And many people described him as paranoid, even uh, psychologists described him as paranoid, delusional. So it always seemed, it seemed like even from the very beginning, he always thought someone was out to get him. And so he always was like railing against them right. as, as his enemies, I guess. But uh, he was technically a pioneer of talk show radio uh, because he was one of the first people to do it back in the day. And talk show radio was the precursor to podcasts. So I guess Norman Baker did one good thing in being a pioneer <laughs> to us podcasting. Um, in 1930, Norman Baker opened the Baker Institute in Muscatine, Iowa, with a convicted medical fraud named Harry Hoxie. <laughs> I, I hope that's really how you pronounce it. Hoxie. Yeah. I think it's Hoxie, but it would be hilarious if it was Hoxie. Uh, and together they promoted a supposed cure for cancer. Uh, during this time, Baker used his radio station to denounce licensed doctors as, quote, educated fools and, quote, cutters. So it doesn't have a lot of respect for actual medical professionals. Uh, later in 1930, Baker reported that three men with guns attacked the hospital, but police later found out that Harry Hoxie had fired all the shots. So I don't know if he was just trying to cash in on, like, some kind of insurance or anything, or maybe he just really did That's think my guess. people were attacking the, I don't know, Weird guy. Uh, the state of Iowa then filed an injunction against Baker for practicing without a medical license. And the... You all right? Sorry. <laughs> Trying. Uh, the state of Iowa filed an injunction against Baker for practicing without a medical license. And the Federal Radio Commission called for delicensing of his radio station, citing, quote, venomous, obscene broadcasts against the public interest. Yeah, yeah definitely Alex Jones, for sure. <laughs> Um, Baker lost both his hospital and his radio station in 1931. A few years later, in 1937, Baker purchased the Crescent Hotel and transformed it into Baker's Cancer Curable Hospital. Baker advertised miracle cures that required neither surgery nor painful extensive tests. Baker alleged that positive thinking, long outdoor walks in the fresh air, and his miracle elixir would result in patients leaving the hospital cancer-free. It was, I believe, a six-week guarantee. This miracle elixir, in reality, was a painful injection that was a mixture of corn silk, watermelon seeds, clover, water, carbolic acid, uh, aka phenol, which is used like, as an antiseptic. So it was the only remotely medical thing in that. It's injection. like all the random crap he had left in his cabinets. Yeah, he was like, man, I just need to clean all this out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, he was actually really specific about what went into that miracle elixir. Huh. So maybe he there was some sort of belief involved in it. Maybe he wasn't just, you know, uh, duping everyone. But Well, he was, but, you know, maybe he believed a little bit himself. Uh, needless to say, this treatment did not work, and many patients died in the, quote, hospital as a result. For patients in the later stages of cancer, where it was most apparent that his treatment was not working, 
Baker would hide them away in a soundproof section of the third floor, which he called the asylum, but it was nicknamed by others as the pain ward. These unlucky souls were offered no form of pain relief, and most patients died alone in the pain ward. Uh, this area is now the uh, honeymoon suites, so good place to stay. <laughs> when a patient died, Baker would have the nurse sneak the bodies out of the pain ward on a gurney in the early morning hours to the elevator, where they would be transported to the morgue in the basement. In the morgue, Baker would dissect the bodies and remove the tumors and keep them in jars of formaldehyde and display them on shelves in a section of the basement now known as the parts room. He would then store the bodies in the basement cooler. It seems that he kept the specimens as, quote, proof that his treatment was working and that the cancer itself was being removed. These jars were advertised on a poster of the hospital with the words, we have proof of our success in bold letters. Before they died, Baker would have his patient sign a blank piece of paper, then use that signature to forge letters to the patient's family, and in the letter, the patient would claim that the cure was working and instructed relatives to send more money. Baker collected countless checks from the relatives of his already dead patients. It was unknown to the many desperate patients who flocked to the hospital that Norman Baker's miracle was nothing more than a scam that he had been purporting on unsuspecting patients for years. While operating the hospital, Baker was being investigated by federal authorities and in 1939 was finally arrested for mail fraud. Apparently that was the only thing they could actually get him on, actually convict him of anyway. Baker was convicted to a four-year sentence. The investigation revealed that Baker defrauded cancer patients out of approximately $4 million. In today's money, that would come out to over $71 million. $71 million. Million dollars. And, uh... As far as his body count, according to the ghost tour went on, uh, who cited mortuary, local mortuary records, within the 22 months that uh, Baker worked the hospital, over 40 bodies were picked up by the mortuary. Out of jail, and after another attempt to return to the medical practice, Norman Baker retired to Florida, and in 1958 died of cirrhosis of the liver. Before he died, the quack treated himself with injections of the miracle elixir, it is unknown if he actually believed this elixir after selling it all these years, but still, a fitting end to a man whose ineffective treatment resulted in the death of several people. I gotta give it to him. If he took it himself, he believed in it. Yeah, I guess to a certain degree. So he wasn't completely maniacal. Well. <laughs> well, I mean, he was, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying, it. yeah. Uh, many of the hospital records were destroyed, so if you hear saying, if you hear saying stuff uh, like they think Theodora worked for him, then... That's why, because we don't have the records to confirm that. Uh, the Crescent Hotel had several owners over the next several decades, and in 1997, the hotel was purchased by Marty and Elise Rennick, who oversaw $5 million worth of renovations and restored the Grand Lady of the Ozarks back to her original glory, which brings us to today and the ghosts that haunt the halls of the stately hotel. <laughs> you know, fun fact i was actually telling my family about the crescent hotel and my uh, my grandpa actually uh turns out he worked on the 1990s renovations in the hotel he did a lot of the uh varnishing and stain work down the lobby he did a lot of the painting he uh he accidentally set the back door on fire uh because apparently that's what you do while you're stripping the paint and but he was able to put it out but there's a portion door so somewhere so what did he, did he say what door exactly? He said it was the it was the back doors in the lobby, the one that we kept going in and out of. The oh, back porch. it's I couldn't find the scorch mark, but it's probably been painted since then. Oh, probably so. at least like ten times. <laughs> okay. You want to move us on to ghosts? Yeah, there are a number of spirits that are said to haunt the hotel, according to both staff and guests. The first one being the girl on the terrace a young woman who had reportedly fell to her death during the days when the hotel was a woman's college. She does not have a name, but can be seen on the balcony of the hotel, and people have reported hearing a female scream in the area. A man in black can also be seen in the spot where the girl fell, leading people to believe that it might have been her lover. It is speculated that the girl might have been pregnant at the time of her death. It is believed to have been an accidental fall, but there are rumors that she intentionally jumped off or was pushed off the balcony. Maybe by the man in black. Maybe. You know, in the ghost tour, they, they cite this story in which they uh, apparently the college girls 
apparently there was a tight ship running around here. No boys were allowed in the college. Uh, no friends of the girls or anything. But apparently they would sneak him in by lowering a uh, laundry, laundry basket, basket down yeah. from the balcony. Apparently a metal laundry basket with the plywood bottom. And boys would get in the laundry basket and they hoist him back up. Uh, I don't I don't know if I believe that because that's, that's a lot <laughs> of weight. It's very cartoonish. It's very cartoonish. That's a lot of weight. Even by itself, the laundry basket or what they used to lower laundry baskets down in, it had a metal frame. So that's heavy in itself. And then add the full well, weight. take a lot of Add a weight of a full-grown like man balancing. into that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if I believe that. It's a fun story. I'm not sure if it's legit. But moving on. But one sighting of the girl on the terrace occurred when police officers were at the gazebo across the garden on the Crescent Grounds. They looked up and saw a figure fall from the back terrace located on the fourth floor to the ground below. The officers rushed to the spot where they saw the figure fall but did not see a body. They searched the grounds but found nothing. The Victorian spirits that linger in the dining room are said to be very playful, and on one occasion during the Christmas season... The Christmas tree and all its packages were found mysteriously moved to the other side of the room. Additionally, all the chairs had been moved to the circle or faced the transported tree. On another occasion, staff arrived in the morning to find the dining room in perfect order, with the exception of all the menus scattered about the room. It's almost like, just like, hey, hey, <laughs> watch me put this crap all over the place and watch these... Hey man, live walkers, totally freak Dude, out. Dude, I'm totally just gonna mess with them, man. Yeah. Just, just, just check this out. Yeah, I'm just gonna throw we'll these menus, menus all over. The, all place. over. <laughs> <laughs> the apparition of a nurse can be seen on the third floor, which is the location of the infamous pain ward, pushing a gurney. Likely an employee from the days Baker used the building as a hospital. She's only sighted after 11 p.m. 2 to 3 a.m., I think, is the actual, yeah. right? Yeah. That's That was when they moved the uh, bodies right. out back in the hospital days, which was around 2 or 3 a.m. Yeah. The nurse vanishes when she reaches the end of the hallway. The sounds of squeaks and rattles that sounds like a gurney being rolled down a hard floor hallway have also been reported, which uh, should be noted that that floor is now carpeted. Yeah, so it would be... Kind of difficult to hear what sounds like a gurney being rolled down the hard floor on carpeted floor now. The area on the third floor where the pain ward was located is now the honeymoon suites. Mm. So romantic. Yeah, that's the perfect spot in the entire hotel. The one spot where everyone died in. Uh, a couple staying the night there captured a picture of what looks to be a human aid apparition. A human aid. A human aid. <laughs> a humanoid Give apparition. A cold glass of human aid. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, and they show this. Uh, they show this uh, picture in the ghost tour. It's actually pretty creepy because you can really see all the detail in it, and it's it's like upside down on the TV. So you know, kind of like when you look through, like if you look see a glass or something, mm -hmm. it's, the image is upside down. So that kind of lends. Is that, is that something we can find a picture of and put it on uh, Facebook? I don't think so. I think they just want you to come see it on the tour. Did you take a picture of it? I no, think you took a picture of it. I didn't take a picture okay. of it because I was respecting the tour. Uh, another thing I didn't put in here, but apparently there is also a lady in white that's been seen in the honeymoon suite. It was seen by the wife of the hotel manager, and she promptly decided she didn't want to stay in that room anymore. Hmm. Uh, the quack Norman Baker himself can be seen in the old recreation room in the basement and at the foot of the first floor stairway dressed in a white linen suit. Like Colonel Sanders. Where's my... I found it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Theodore was hiding it from you. <laughs> Baker was a paranoid man and kept two large guard dogs in his personal suite at the highest point of the hotel in room 502. Which is apparently also the highest point in the Ozark Mountains. Apparently. apparently. Supposedly. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe. Uh, when the current owners brought their dogs to the suite, the dogs refused to enter that room. So it must be good. <laughs> Mary Breckenridge was the wife of Richard Ryan Thompson, the president of Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. You know, that name just really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Richard Ryan Thompson. Yes, I like it. She is uh, well known for being the mother of nurse midwifery. Mother of nurse midwifery. Yeah, that's a, that's a title for you. Hmm. And emphasized sterility while practicing the profession. 
She lived at the Crescent for a time with her husband and two children, including her son, little Brecky, who died of appendicitis in 1918 at the age of four. Brecky loved to play in the Crescent when he was alive, and if the stories are to be believed, still does so in death. He is reported to run up and down the halls and staircase of the second floor, playing with his ball. He likes to talk to child guests staying in the hotel. If Brecky gets angry, he will reportedly throw his ball at the wall and yell, Not fair. Not fair. Not fair. <laughs> Many child guests will tell their parents that they liked playing with the boy in funny clothes on the second floor. And uh, we saw a picture of little Brecky, and he did have some funky clothes. <laughs> And a funky haircut to go along with it. Well, you know what? For the time, he's probably yeah, pretty stylish. Probably, uh, probably one of the rich kids. Definitely. The apparition of a small boy that may or may not be Brecky. You know how to pronounce apparition? Apparition. Apparition. Apparition? It's not an operation. <laughs> You're such a grammar Nazi. It's not a grammar Nazi. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> Gari. The apparition, have I said apparition this whole time? Yes. Okay. The apparition of a small boy that may or may not be Brecky has also been seen skipping around the gardens or in the, uh, or in the kitchen. Or and in the kitchen. Not or in the kitchen. And or in the kitchen. And or in the kitchen. <laughs> Sometimes pots and pans in the kitchen are said to come flying off their hooks on their own accord. Dr. Ellis was in the ho- was an in-house physician of the hotel in the 1800s who died of a heart attack in the street after his downtown office burned down. Well, that's some crabby luck. Yeah. In his hotel office uh, in room 212, a spirit with a top hat, mutton chops, and no legs has been seen floating around the room. His appearance is accompanied by the smell of cherry tobacco. One of Dr. Ellis's favorites. An absolute Victorian gentleman. Oh, it's disgusting. Like I, I, like, I still smell I smell people smoking those things. <laughs> I think I might like it better than your pink passion. Yeah. No. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Other possible spirits witnessed included a distinguished Victorian-era gentleman who can be seen at the bar, a strange mist that can be seen moving throughout the gardens, and ghostly disembodied faces that have been reportedly seen in the hall mirror of the second floor. That brings us to the most interactive spirits, the first of them being Michael, who haunts the second floor in room 218. Michael was one of the hotel's original masons who was working on the roof, but lost his balance while waving to a lady in the gardens. He fell on a beam in the area that is now room 218 and died. Michael is the most interactive ghost in the hotel and is a well-known prankster. He likes to play tricks with the lights, the doors, and TV, as well as often pounding loudly on the walls. Others have witnessed hands coming out of the bathroom mirror and heard cries of what sounded like a man falling in the ceiling. Yet other guests have been shaken during the night, and on one occasion a guest ran screaming from the room, claiming to have seen blood splattered all over its walls. Female guests should keep an eye out if they stay in this room, as Michael is a flirt. He has been known to pull open the curtain on showering women, as well as stroking the arms of female guests and blowing on their neck. That was me. I was about to say, that's how Gary flirts. (laughs) (laughs) I saw him do it all all throughout the night. (laughs) He is not a fan of male guests, though. When men are showering, they will only get really hot or really cold water. The man calls downstairs, excuse me, I'm only getting really hot, really cold water. (laughs) Oh, it's Michael. It's definitely not... It's definitely not anything we need to do to fix yeah. it. It's just the ghost. It's nothing on our end. It's yeah. the spirits. <laughs> Sorry, can't do anything about it. Uh, he also likes to shove guys out of their bed at night. That that might actually be the ghost. I don't think people are just getting shoved because the hotel is old. Um, on one occasion, an elderly couple rented the room. The wife was unable to find her dentures and accused her husband of hiding them, who, of course, claimed innocence. The dentures were then eventually found in the toes of her brand new unopened shoes. On another occasion, a lady was asked how her stay in room 218 was. She replied with a sly smile and said that she thoroughly enjoyed spending the night with Michael. Uh, Michael is thought to be the oldest spirit in the hotel as he's been haunting the building for over 100 years. For reference, the hotel this year is 133 years old. The Crescent is also thought to be haunted by a cat named Morris, who lived in the hotel and acted as its mascot for 21 years. 21 years is is really old for a cat. Like, that's impressive. 
Uh, when Morris died, he was buried in his own casket in the hotel gardens, and over 50 people attended his funeral service. We have a picture of his tombstone on the Snipe Hunt Facebook page if you want to see it. Morris's spirit can be seen lounging around the fireplace or on the upper floors. He is most often seen by children, and witnesses have reported the feeling something jumping into and lying in their lap, but do not see anything. Uh, it makes me wonder how many people see the current hotel cat, Jasper, and be like, I saw Morris. Yeah. <laughs> it was him. But then again, they do look very much different. So. Oh, yeah. Different colors. Yeah. I think, I think uh, Morris is an orange Morris tabby. Morris was a tabby cat. Yeah. He was an orange tabby, and uh, Jasper, the current cat, is black and white with longer fur. So it'd be kind of hard to get the like mix Persian. Up, but, but you never know. No, it's not Persian. No. Those Persians have the flat face, and they're awful cats. Oh. <laughs> Sorry if anyone listening owns a Persian. Um, and finally, we have the last spirit, the one who supposedly occupies the very room that we're in, Theodora. Theodora occupies room 419 and appears as a woman by the door, fumbling in her purse. She is thought to have been a patient or the head nurse of the cancer hospital back in the Norman Baker days. Uh, you'll get different answers depending on which ghost tour you go on, apparently. she Lies. will. She will talk to you. If you ask her what she is doing, she will say that she's looking for her keys. It's a lie. Which, which one? All of it. All of it. It's a lie. The whole thing. The hotel doesn't actually exist. It's just a whole big lie. Per- it's a construct. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything's a construct. We live in a simulation. Uh, <laughs> she is reportedly a neat freak who will straighten up anything out of place in the room, including guest belongings. Uh, I can tell Except you. Except tampons. <laughs> We did and hair ties and yeah, we did find a uh, unopened tampon and hair ties on the floor of the room. So apparently she's not that tidy. She wrote, and we've left our stuff all over, and she hasn't cleaned up anything yet. Uh, <laughs> there's still time. She does this if she likes you as a guest and wants the room to look good for you. So maybe she just doesn't like us. Yeah, that could be it. I don't blame her. Um, but if she doesn't like you, she will politely let you know that you should leave. On one occasion, a couple who was on their honeymoon argued in the room and left. When they came back, they found that all their belongings were packed and their suitcases were by the door. Even the wedding clothes that were hanging in the closet were lying down on the floor. I'll be thrilled if she does that tomorrow morning. Dude, that'd be sweet. During a seance, they allegedly contacted Theodora and asked her why she stayed in the hotel. She replied that she was helping other spirits find peace. Aw, she's a good lady. (laughs) On another occasion, some paranormal investigators left a laptop and other equipment in the room. And when they came back to get it, the door would not budge. Something was blocking the door. When they finally managed to get into the room, they found it was all of their own equipment blocking the door. And then another small story that we got from the ghost tour that we didn't get before was apparently um, someone stayed here with a dog and dog toys were strewn out all throughout the floor. And the owner left with the dog and they came back and they noticed that all the toys that were previously all over the floor were all lined up in a perfect row in front of the dog's bed. Hmm. So, interesting. So, Theodora, if you like us or if you don't like us, uh, please let us know either way. The Crescent Hotel was featured... Feel free to pack all our crap. Yes, please pack all of our stuff so we don't have to. The Crescent Hotel was featured on an episode of Ghost Hunters where the famous The Atlantic Paranormal Society, or TAPS team, caught an image of a man on the thermal camera when there was no one there. Taps came to the conclusion that the hotel was, in fact, haunted, which came to no surprise to the staff working there. Uh, Recently, this June of 2019, which is about a month or two ago at the time of this recording, they came here and did their own investigation, but Ghost Adventures is just the worst ghost (laughs) investigation show of all time. Zach Baggins is a a douchebag. He's douchebaggins. Yeah, exactly. He's douchebaggins. Uh, but I won't go too far into that. You wanna, you wanna pick up from there. Check it out yourself. Make that conclusion. Yeah, on your you own. draw your own conclusion. Don't don't take our word for it. <laughs> the Crescent made the news in April of 2019. Here's the article from FiveNewsOnline.com. The Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs calls itself America's most haunted hotel. Ooh. So it may not be surprising that human specimens were found buried on the property. It all started when the hotel groundskeeper found the first bottle about three months ago. We really didn't have any idea what was going on until I picked up the first bottle. 
that had a clear fluid in it with something in it, said landscaper Susan Benton. Altogether, they discovered 500 bottles that point to the stories of Neumann... Neumann... Neumann Baker? Normal Baker. Who used the hotel to treat cancer patients in the late 1930s. Hotel Ghost Tour Manager Keith Scales said he recognized the bottle from a poster display. I wonder if he's the one who gave us the first tour. I think it might have been him, yeah. Some of the bottles are medicines, and some of the bottles are medical specimens of what he claimed were tumors that he had taken out of patients, Scales said. Put in alcohol or formaldehyde and kept in bottles as evidence that his cure was working. Why does scale, key scale sound like that? Oh, I, I could do my real impression of him. Yeah, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> Although this was considered a dump site, archaeologists said that they can tell a lot of thought went into the disposal of the bottles. I can tell by the pictures that no, not a whole lot. I was just like, hey, let's dig this hole and throw this crap all in here. Well, I mean, we can follow up with archaeologist Michael Evans, see if he actually works at the U of A, and see if he actually, you know, dug all this up. Hmm. So, so it, for a little backstory, Gary doesn't believe in this whole digging up bottles <laughs> thing in the backyard. For, he's fine with pretty much everything else. <laughs> but when it came to the bottles, he's like, nope, I'm out. That's <laughs> nope. the one thing that just breaks this whole thing to us. Who would think that a paranoid, <laughs> delusional, quack doctor would bury his specimens in the backyard. That's just too much. No, that is no. not believable you guys, at all. You just have to see it. You guys are it. wrong. He just burned all you the records. You have to see it. And was desperate to get rid of all evidence. He definitely didn't bury it. That's okay, just it's stupid. way deeper than that. <laughs> Pun intended. It was way <laughs> deeper. Like she was showing us these tumors in these jars with liquid in yeah. them. And they had like the lid was broken. And they had plastic wrap for the top, and then they had rubber bands yeah. holding the plastic to the top. Of- yeah, and she was just keeping all this stuff in her bag. If this was a 100-year-old crap, that would smell so terribly bad. Ooh, that smell. And she would be wearing gloves to show us this crap. Yeah, that part, I mean, they, they have to zhuzh it up a little bit, you know. So they probably didn't have any real specimens uh, left, so they probably just kept. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pizza was delicious. Pizza man. was delicious. <laughs> the, if, if you come here for any reason, come for the pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think they they definitely exaggerate a lot of stuff. I think the her little showing us the specimen things was one of them. But just because one thing is faulty doesn't mean the whole thing falls <laughs> apart. It's not like a card tower. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's a ghost tour. There's, it's supposed to be exaggeration. You got to take it with a grain of salt. Anyways. Anyways. Archaeologist Michael Evans said they also found a 60 millimeter film that was buried. This film was in really bad shape. That we. Is uh, <laughs> Michael Evans just bored out of his mind? <laughs> <laughs> the film's in really bad shape. <laughs> Now I'm scared of what voice you're going to do. This film was in really bad shape. <laughs> I knew it. And we were able to lift a few little images from the film. And one of the images said, after or before Baker treatment. It's a unique find. Very exciting, Evans said. But, go figure, we didn't see the freaking tape. Well, yeah, because they're probably still analyzing it, Gary. Jeez. Uh, and it's not a tape, it's a film. It's hard to find a VCR, I know. I get it. <laughs> yeah, they had VCRs back in the 1930s. Oh, was it not VCR? <laughs> I assumed it was a VCR. Gary, I'm not a historian, oh, it was but I can big, confirm that it's, oh, it's not like the a big, VCR. <laughs> okay, I got it. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Good stuff. Archaeologists also found an old bone. Uh, old bone saw. <laughs> you know, I read, I read it as an old bone. When I first read the sentence, I read it as archaeologists also found an old bone. They use, they believe Baker used to work on his patients. I was like, why would he be using an old bone yeah. to work on his patients? <laughs> old bone saw. Trust me, it's my hammer. <laughs> All right, so now we... Uh, they found an old bone saw that they believe Baker may have used to work on yes, his patients. Yes, a bone saw, not an actual yeah. old bone. All right, we're now at the uh, ghost hunting section of the podcast. <laughs> we actually uh, made some friends fr- friends here. Uh, <laughs> we have Keegan and Chansey here with us today. What's up? 
Hello. Yeah, we are here in Theodore's room. They're here for the ghost ghost section, ghost hunting section. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So first, we're going to go over some of the basics for ghost hunting. Gary, if you want to start us off with that. All right. Well, we are now at the part of the episode where we'll attempt to contact the spirits of the hotel. But you might be wondering what exactly goes into a ghost hunt. Well, the website ghostsandgravestones.com has the answers for us. Yeah, one of the many totally legitimate websites. So let's go over I find it. accurate sources for it. Yeah, he's bail hill. All right, what's the, what's the first rule? Um, uh, be prepared. This is Boy Scouts. <laughs> yes. We need the right equipment for sure. The website recommends the following for a beginner ghost hunt. A pen and paper to record any paranormal observations. Don't have that. No. A flashlight with extra batteries. Don't have that either. A cell phone to use in emergencies and to track time. I do have that. And most importantly, comfortable clothing. You wear comfy shoes for the ghost tour. And my lucky underwear. (laughs) Yeah. It also mentions other gear such as video cameras, audio recorders, and digital laser thermometers, all of which we do not have. Well, we do have the video cameras, right? Yeah, but we're not. We're not using it for this part. We will have, or we do we're have. Use it when we're sleeping. Hmm? We're gonna we're gonna record ourselves. Oh yeah, sleep. we're gonna make a non-porno. <laughs> we have a special piece of equipment that we will bring up later. Yeah. And okay. So. And if you guys want to interject at any point, <laughs> you totally can. We're recording in some other side of the live studio audience today. So if you guys just want to provide the laugh track to let the listeners know when to laugh, that would be great. Uh, so rule number two, according to the website, is do your research. Uh, well, based on the rest of this episode, I think we definitely did that. Uh, but the site mentions that if there's any record of when the ghost appears, such as the evening, uh, to plan your hunt for that time, which makes sense. There's... We didn't really get any of that, like, no ghosts appear at a specific time of day or anything. Um, let's see. It also mentions that a camera flash might pick up invisible spirit auras that appear in the picture as orbs of light. If you listen to the Ghost Lights minisode, then you will know that's all a load of crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's dust particles and insects. Yeah, dust it's not, and reflection. It's not ghosts. I will, I'll admit, we went when we did the ghost tour last time. I was taking pictures of the hallway just for the hell of it. And like on several of them there was like a like like an orb like towards the floor and I'm like oh my, oh my gosh, I got something. I think I have the pictures on my phone actually. Well, let's not go through them right now. I know. <laughs> What's number three? Oh. <laughs> Never was- investigate alone. Use the buddy system. Yes. Uh, ghost hunts are not only much more fun with a group, but they're also much safer. I do feel safer with Keegan and Chancey. I do. I do. So do I. I appreciate you guys coming in. Yeah. yeah Keegan apparently is like super scared <laughs> of the concept of ghosts, and he's here sort of as a thrill seeking opportunity. So yeah. He's having a good time. He's having a good time. And uh, you never know what kind of ghouls you'll encounter, so bringing a buddy or two is advised. Take special precautions in secluded areas or at night since the terrain might be unfamiliar and your sight may be impaired in the dark. And this hotel is so old and so crooked, you might yeah. fall over anyway. Plus, if you got some frightening phantoms. If you spot some frightening phantoms. Whatever. If you've got some. <laughs> who also, knows? If got some, I may have got if some. If you got some just lying around. If you spot some frightening phantoms, you'll be able to prove you're not crazy since all your friends will have seen them as well. Uh, number four is hey. a big one. Always ask permission. If you're investigating a property that isn't your own, always ask permission. Or in our case, buy a room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a very expensive room. Um, it's often best to have the property owner give written consent, ooh, written consent, to avoid any legal troubles due to trespassing. Uh, if a property owner doesn't want you to do a ghost hunt in a particular area, there's probably good reasons. Why? What's he, what's he hiding? Uh, let's see. To be on the safe side, don't forget your personal ID. You need identif- if you need identification at any point during your adventure. Also remember, I don't know money buys everything. That's true. Like a For $5, dollars, he'll let you look at his property. <laughs> and throw an axe or two. Yeah, throw an axe or two. <laughs> hey, did you ever think that we could be being molested right now? <laughs> yes. 
And we, we don't even know it. You ever thought about that? Ghost molested. We can be True. being molested right now by a ghost, and we would never know. Hopefully Theodora. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's a handsome woman. <laughs> if the picture's anything to go by. Yeah. Now, now we're just... Now we're burning her, and I don't... Uh, that... We have to stay here, remember? Yeah, we're out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get to leave. Who knows? Maybe later you, you will be shooting. Quit talking your crap. <laughs> Might be what? I said maybe later you will be shooting a porno. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't even know it. <laughs> we won't even know it. <laughs> All right, what's Gary, what's happening in the video? What's going on? <laughs> Why is your body moving like that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, safety during a ghost hunt is very important. Mm -hmm. If you're well prepared and research the best ghost hunting locations beforehand, your exploration should be exciting and safe. Ours was because we had a guide. This all sounds like it should have been at the beginning of the ghost tour. <laughs> I don't think they need to go over all this. In order to err, yes, is it err? It's err. Err? To err. Err? On the side of caution. In order to err on the side of caution, you may want to bring a first aid kit with at least bandages and antibiotic <laughs> ointment to accompany your ghost hunting party. I assume they had that somewhere in the building on the tour. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody brought tampons. But if, if if someone gets like seriously hurt, and you, would you think they would be more inclined to let them die on the spot to add to the ghost collection? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm charge five dollars more. <laughs> <laughs> Safe and cautious ghost hunters won't disturb any angry spirits, and will have a more mm. enjoyable adventure overall. Yeah, Gary, quit disturbing Theodora. After reading these tips, you are equipped to investigate the haunted happenings in your home or elsewhere. Yes. Learning Finally. more about a site's history and the people who lived there is a memorable experience for all ages. Don't forget to take plenty of pictures during your expedition to document paranormal sightings and remember your first ghost hunting adventure. Woo! All right, continue. Okay, all right. Now that we know everything there is to know about ghost hunting, let's get started. We're going to rely on the theory of electronic voice phenomenon, or EVPs. These are sounds found on electronic recordings that are interpreted as spirit voices that have been either unintentionally recorded or intentionally requested and recorded. These voices are not usually heard in person, but are usually discovered later on the recording. If you've watched any Ghosts-related show, you probably are aware of what EVP is. wish are. we would have had a Ouija board. No. I, I that's the one thing I refuse. I'm on the fence about everything, really? but I'm not doing a Ouija board. It's not the board itself. It's the fact that you're inviting something to yeah. come interact with you. Like, no, <laughs> I'm good. Isn't that what we're doing anyway? We're going to hit and we're going to invite them. We're inviting a specific one, which may or may not be harmful, but so far so good. But but in the in, in our last full episode. Oh, my we, God. We, Let's get to the ghost hunting stuff. We talked we brought angels. Oh yeah, we 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 did a guardian angel episode, and we did a couple rituals. Yeah, we found a couple. We summoned angels, to, not to summon one, to communicate with one, to get that primo guardianship. Yeah, you don't think <laughs> guardian angels doing his job right. The basic theory behind this is that electronic equipment gives spirits a medium in which to communicate. The medium in this case being electronic frequencies and white noise. Of course, there are a ton of natural explanations that dispute this. As with everything paranormal. So we will have our own little EVP session using our own recording equipment. We will ask a series of questions and see if we get a response. Of course, there is a possibility that we will have already picked up some EVPs at some point throughout this recording. Uh, the other method we will be using involves a special piece of equipment Touch you mentioned my earlier. My friend Sam, oh, I can never pronounce his last name right. Shoval? I'm going to go with Shoval. Was kind enough to let us borrow his spirit box for our investigation. A spirit box is essentially just a radio scanner that scans through channels uh, at a certain amount per second, say about one fifth of a second. You hear about five radio stations per second. Um, the theory that ghosts can manipulate the scanning signal and use this to form words. Uh, we might hear some words from actual radio stations, but since it's scanning so fast, if we hear an entire phrase that is longer than one-fifth of a se second, you guys are making me laugh. Uh, 
it might just be a ghost communicating with us. Uh, for this one, I think it's a bunch of BS, but I think it'd be fun to use for the episode since Sam offered to let us use it. Who knows? I might just change my mind after we use it. Hmm. Uh, this will definitely be a more interactive one for you guys because you will actually be able to hear through the speaker on this uh, if we get any response. Mm -hmm. So that'll be exciting. All right, so uh, Gary, you will ask the question for the EVP session, and I okay. will ask the ones for the spirit box session. Uh, so just ask a question and give about five seconds of silence. Let Theodora or any other spirit give, give us an answer, then move on to the next one. So let's go ahead and start that. Now. Spirit box questions? Yes. Go ahead and read the series of questions in series at, for about five seconds for your questions. You know? Yeah, are you going to turn it on? No, 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 you go first with the EVP. Were you not paying attention? Were you just enjoying the Oh, we're just going to have time. Oh, yeah, we were. Never mind. All, All right. right. First, first, the EVP session. Starting now, Gary. <laughs> Is there anyone here? Oops. <laughs> it's her. <laughs> She's manipulating our Windows yeah. notifications. Is there anyone here who wishes. Wished is. Is there anyone here who wishes to speak with us? What is your name? You're making me laugh. How old are you? Eighteen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You can edit that out. All right. I will. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Why are you here? Wouldn't it be horrible if we did pick something? Are you alone? <laughs> why, are you, why are you asking these questions so weird? I don't know. <laughs> How many spirits are here with us? How many of us are here? That's like asking the ghost if it can count how many of us are oh. here. That's kind of for like... One. <laughs> what if she's like counting me or... <laughs> yeah. yeah. You mean with me and that concluded or... Were you a patient or employee of Norman Baker? <laughs> You're freaking out that so loud. Did you die here? Gonna laugh on that question. Is there anything you want to tell us? What's this next thing? Uh, is there any other questions yeah. you, you guys might have? Yeah. Should we move on to Spirit Box? All right, so that was our EVP session. Who knows if we picked anything up or not. But our next is our Spirit Box session. Uh, so let me go ahead and get this started. <laughs> Hopefully I won't blow out the speakers trying to get this set up. But so we should hear answers in real time on this as opposed to our EVP session, which picks up later in the recording. You left it on the whole time? I left the speaker on. The That's hilarious. I brought my Google home, so. If we need. Yep, it's fine. Don't even worry about it. All right, I think I wanted. There we go. All right, so supposedly we're going to hear some answers out of this if there are any to be heard. All right, hopefully that sounds good on the recording. I'm not even going to check. I thought you were going to slow it down. No, I think this is good. This is, this, I think the fast speed is better. There's debate, but okay. How's it sound? Sounds good. Okay. Uh, is there anyone here who wishes to speak with us? What is your name? How old are you? Why are you here? There was something. Yeah. How many spirits are here with us? One is the 
How many of us are here? Were you a patient or employee of Norman Baker? I feel like he's picking up more stuff when I'm talking. Did you die here? You can slow it down. Let's slow it down, yeah. How's that? Yeah, that'll be fun. Is there anything that you want to tell us? Theodora, if you're here, we're recording right now, so if you have anything you want to tell us or tell anyone listening, now's your chance. Clean up your shit. <laughs> so it just sounds like she wants us to listen to music. She's like, oh no, I'm waiting till later. I'm about to turn this. I'm about to turn this box off. This is what you can speak through if you want to speak to us. So I'm about to turn it off. So if you want to speak to us, now's your chance. Telling you, man, it's a whole bunch of BS. (laughs) All right, I think we should leave it on for a little bit, or do you think that's good? Anything you guys wanted to ask while you're here? <laughs> All right. Well, that will conclude our little ghost session of the podcast. Uh, Keegan, Chancy, thank you for joining us for this. Oh, for sure. Thank you. It was good yeah, having you. Um, so, yeah. Our first live studio audience. Yeah. feels amazing. <laughs> Nailed it. My nips are so rock hard right now. You have no idea. Gee, it's been re- going for like... 18 minutes now. Well, Darren, it is 3 in the morning, and I am completely wiped out. And I am ready to be touched by Theodora. Mm, She's a handsome woman. (laughs) So, (laughs) let's wrap it up. Let's let's wrap up this episode of Snipe Hunt. uh, We've definitely had a great experience at the Crescent, and we will definitely let you guys know if we have any sort of experience after this recording. Yeah, we haven't had any so far. It's not looking too good. Not so good, but we haven't fallen asleep and gone completely vulnerable yet. That's so. true. Uh, we should probably move all this furniture back, too. We will. <laughs> uh, uh, once again, I know we ask you this every time, but please wait. Please wait. <laughs> yeah, please wait. Please rate and review us on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts or wherever else will let you leave a review. Please. This helps the show more than anything. And we're all too happy to read it on air. And I'm sorry I don't sound too thrilled tonight. I'm literally freaking tanked. Yeah, he like 30 minutes ago. He I was, was like, falling asleep. Yeah, 30 minutes ago, he's like, I'm not even tired at all. Yeah, I'm well, tired. Let's go walk around. And I was like, oh, man, I'm literally falling asleep like while recording this podcast. During Darren's reading, I was falling asleep. I, like, literally, <laughs> I know, I was looking over. I was trying not to laugh. I literally blacked out. Um <laughs> But we would love to hear from you guys. Uh, we're Absolutely. on Facebook and Twitter, and you can uh, check out our episodes on YouTube uh, as well. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Uh, if you'd like to support us in that way, you can go to patreon.com slash snipehunt. It's for as little as $1 a month. You can get access to topic voting and our blooper reel episodes. We aren't telling you this stuff. This is just a thank you for donating to the show, which helps us with hosting fees. So check it out. We would definitely appreciate it. If you have a topic suggestion, a question, comment, criticism, or if you have a story you'd like us to share on our encounter series, please contact us on social media or email us at snipehuntpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, once again, I would like to thank our good friends Keegan and Chansey for showing up and helping yes. us out with this episode. They were pretty awesome. They were awesome. And, we're pro- and if we do any more ghost hunts, we live in the same area, so we'll probably yeah. invite them back. <laughs> the Crescent Hotel has certainly had a long and storied history. From a luxurious Victorian resort, to a school of higher learning, to a fraudulent place of healing, and back to a beautiful hotel and spa, the Grand Lady of the Ozarks has certainly seen it all. The ghosts here have made this place their home and are all too happy to interact with the living. Thankfully for us, they all seem relatively friendly. Although the questions that if hauntings are a true phenomenon remains. I believe that if there was ever a place that really is haunted, it would be the Crescent Hotel. We do not have all the answers, but we do have 
frightening folklore. I'm telling you, man, it's a whole bunch of BS. <laughs> All right, I think we should leave it on for a little bit, or do you think? Once again, we want to thank you for listening to Snipe Hunt. Your listening has been noted and will be reported to the proper authorities. All audio used was done so under the protection of fair use. Logo design is by Ethan Rothfuss. The music used for this episode was composed by Mayu and Nature World 1986. We'll continue to search for the unexplained and we'll hopefully see you on the next hunt.